Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is February 13th here with you talking about the Milwaukee Bucks and their victory over the Denver Nuggets. Why I saw championship level basketball from the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll also talk about the bracket, where Marquette sits. Are we worried at all about Wisconsin anymore? And Green Bay in the tournament. We'll talk about where they sit in the bracket as well. Lastly, we will wonder if the San Francisco Super Bowl hangover will actually help the Green Bay Packers. We'll get into all of that and more. Just a reminder to follow us along on social media. Tapping the keg on Twitter slash X. It's been a hot, hot Twitter day plus. Um, so thank you for all that have uh, liked and engaged with the content. I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, we're also on other platforms. If you're joining us from the X slash Twitter platform, we are on Apple. We're, I know, sorry, that's our podcast. We'll get to that. Uh, we're on Instagram uh, and TikTok and Facebook at Tavian the Keg Sports. So you can follow us there. Um, as for the podcast itself, as I was getting ahead of myself, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, we do this four days a week. Uh, we talk about Wisconsin sports. Um, once a week, I hop on with my guy, Mitch, um, and we talk about kind of more of the overarching topics that are going on in the state and also set the table for maybe the weekend and the weeks to follow. Uh, so that's kind of where we sit. Um, as mentioned before, I'm going to be out of the country here for two weeks in Portugal and then Netherlands. Uh, so that will kind of limit uh, the podcast content. I'm hoping to do some more. Um, but you you run out of time quick. Like you have a to-do list. You're like, all right, I want to get this, this, and this done. And then you don't. And things prevent you from, you know, really doing what you want to do. And yeah, it doesn't happen <laughs> the way you hope it does. So fingers crossed. Um, we'll try my best. We're also on PSF app uh, doing a live stream tonight from our cut. Um, I've done a bad job of promoting that. Um, but make sure that you're joining us and you're hanging out. Uh, if you are a Marquette fan or if you just want to hang out with me, um, that would be appreciated. We'd really love to have you. All right, let's get into the Milwaukee Bucks and why I saw championship level basketball from them last night. Monday night was a culmination of the last sort of week plus with Doc Rivers. I guess now been two weeks. Um, you know, Doc took over a couple Mondays ago against Denver, conveniently enough. Uh, and it, it wasn't, you know, pretty in terms of win-loss, right? But we still saw a lot of good things. And when I was doing the podcast with Mitch on Friday, not Friday, uh, when we talked about their loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, I just basically talked about how everybody needed to relax. Every Bucks fan kind of packed in the season, kind of thought that things were over, thought that the Bucks were sort of not going to get back to maybe what people expected this season to be. And yes, this season has been a challenging one. This season has definitely not been easy, right? We've had a lot of bad losses. We've had a lot of moments that have been unbucks like that we have just not been accustomed to during the Mike Budenholzer era. But the there was like a, tr a change happening. You could see this Milwaukee Bucks team starting to get it. You could see them hustling on defense. You could see them working defensively. And a part of me really felt strongly about tonight 
that it was do or die. I don't think that it was a must win like Kendrick Perkins or any of the other engagement bait broadcasters would say. But I felt like it was really important to show that championship level, show your teeth, show the fact that you belong with the contenders and you're not this team that is flailing and doesn't have its shit together. And that's exactly what the Milwaukee Bucks did. They really did it from the start, right? They limit the Nuggets to 23 points in the first quarter. They then turn it on in that second second quarter, outscoring the Nuggets by 11 points. They hold Denver to under 50 points in the first half. They hold Denver to under 100 points in that whole game. And it's the first time since 2021 that the Milwaukee Bucks have held an opponent under 100 points in back-to-back games. And those teams were Orlando and Detroit. So while Charlotte is nothing to shake your dick at, Denver definitely is. Denver's the best team out of that four. They're the defending national champ, or defending champions. Sorry, college basketball on my brain. But they, there is no, like Denver is a very good basketball team. I understand that Denver is not a good road team. I understand that Denver is pretty much average on the road, but they still, this matters. This is important. And the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks were able to level up and hit that championship level means a ton to me going forward. Could they lose to Miami tonight? Maybe. I don't think they will, but could they lose to Miami? Yeah, that's possible, right? The hangover of Monday could roll into Tuesday. I don't really feel great about Pat Bev hanging out all night in Chicago, hanging out with the Barstool guys, but that's that's here nor there. And I I definitely think that could happen and this, this podcast could blow up in my face, but I still think the fact that you saw it is good enough for me. And maybe that's loser mentality. Maybe that's cope as the kids like to say online. But I, I really believe that this is the box that we hoped all season would be there. And the fact that their defense has been improving, even with Damian Lillard, even without necessarily having that point of attack defender, you know, in the starting lineup, that to me is huge for the Bucs. That to me, if the Bucs can be a top 10 defense with Damian Lillard, then all, everything changes. Everything becomes differently. Things become a lot harder for teams because Damian Lillard has always been a bad defender on teams who have bad defense. What are they going to do? What are they going to do if the Milwaukee Bucks are a lockdown defensive team and they have an offensive output of what we saw tonight and really what we've seen the last two games? The Milwaukee Bucks offense didn't exactly stop. It hasn't been, you know, I would say the prettiest without Chris Middleton. I think when Chris Middleton's out, the offense becomes a little more stagnant. I think that's why having a guy like Damian Lillard is an upgrade. I understand that Damian Lillard, you know, wasn't exactly great in this game. He was, I think, what, 6 of 18 uh, in this one or 6 of 15, something like that. Like, he didn't exactly play well, but he scored enough. And everybody sort of pitched in. And I think if Giannis is going to be the constant and he's going to drop, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 and then everybody else around him 
can get a, a variety of, you know, anywhere from eight to 15 points, you're going to probably win that basketball game. And if you have the defense to complement what you're doing offensively, that's going to make yourself even better. And I, I think that's the, that's the other thing about this whole championship level. For the first time, I feel like all season, maybe that Boston game was the Bucks played at champion, played at sort of a complementary level. They let their defense help their offense. And when they were scoring, they were not just giving up a bucket on the other side. And it was back and forth, and it was a shootout, and it was first to 130 wins this game. And I think that this is the Bucks sort of locking in and saying, all right, here is us sending a message. Here is us saying that no matter what we've done in the last two weeks, even though that we are three and five in our last eight games, we are still here. We are still going to be among the best in the NBA. And you are gonna have a hell of a time beating us at our home court. That, that, that is a fortress. The Bucks now are 23 and six at home. That is not nothing. We want to talk about Denver, right? We always talk about, oh, Denver, altitude. It's so hard to win in Denver. How about it's hard to win in Milwaukee? How about Milwaukee is one of the best home court advantages in all of the NBA? And I understand a lot of nostalgia around the Bradley Center and sometimes the Fiserv has gotten too corporate and I would tend to agree, but I also think it's hard to get up on a random Monday or a random Tuesday when you, you can't really have the beers that you can have on Friday or Saturday. I mean, that place was rocking on Friday night for a Charlotte Hornets game. And the Hornets are miserable. Like the Hornets are a bad basketball team. So the fact that the Bucks have the, this home court advantage really pays off and really means that they should push to get that two seed. And it could be on the table. You had the Cleveland Cavaliers lose to the Philadelphia 76ers. You had the New York Knicks lose to the Houston Rockets. It was a great night for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Milwaukee Bucks to drive home that home court advantage point. They are the second best team at home this season in the Eastern Conference. Only the Celtics at 25 and three are better than the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are second, while the Orlando Magic at 17 and seven are third in terms of the whole NBA. The Thunder, the Clipper, uh, Nuggets are 21 and four, and then the Clippers and Thunder and Timberwolves all have, have less than seven losses at home, um, who are all playing very impressive basketball. Timberwolves had a great win in the, against the Clippers, and they kind of have the Clippers number, uh, which is a another aside of last night's games. Both of the kind of high-profile games were blowouts, uh, which I'm sure the NBA hated. And we talked, I don't know if we talked about it. I've sort of talked about it on Twitter that they didn't have anything nationally for this game. And it was, it was a little weird, right? But I don't know, at the end, it kind of worked out because both games weren't exactly the greatest. But I, I think that we need to understand, right? That this is, this is the version of Milwaukee Bucks basketball that you hope for in October, right? It took a while to get here, but we've got here. And they showed their teeth. They showed what a championship basketball pro program can look like. And I feel as confident about this Bucks team as I have all season, really. Um, I, I think that this is, I was, you know, more on the side of Adrian Griffin, right? I gave Adrian Griffin more of a chance 
because I believe that, you know, guys are deserving of that. And I wasn't ready to just completely throw the baby out of the bathwater uh, like some people were. And now some people who, who were taking victory laps about it, I still think it's fucking ridiculous that that was their opinion because I think it seeds a culture of dissent where you can't necessarily be accepting that maybe you were wrong. And, and it's a whole macro thing more so than, hey, fuck Adrian Griffin after 10 games. And I, I think the fact of the matter is, is that the Bucks realized they made a mistake. The Bucks got rid of it. They hired a guy in Doc who knows how to work with stars. Doc got his guys in there. They got a couple days of practice. They instilled some good things, some good practices. And all of a sudden, the Bucks are here for takeoff. And again, if they lose to Miami tonight, I'm not going to be that upset about it. We're going to talk about it, but I'm not going to lose my mind if they lose to the Heat because I still think that like this is the progress you wanted. You have one more game before I'm like, it's house money. Like if they win tonight, I have no problem with them resting everybody for that game against Memphis. Why not? Let the young guys play. Memphis is terrible right now. Now, granted, you could argue that because you are playing in a very tight Eastern Conference, every game is going to matter. But I, I really do think that like it, it's, it, it's okay if they don't, right? Like all of a sudden, mission accomplished. You went three and one in this last stretch, and you basically have vaulted yourself into that following week where you, you know, you'll have Minnesota and, and Philadelphia to start the second half of the season, which is not easy and both on the road. So you'll, it'll definitely be a very difficult schedule coming up for the Milwaukee Bucks. But as they've proven time and again, when they face good teams this season, they are up for the challenge. And while we have, it's been frustrating of a year, it's clear that if you have patience, it is going to pay off in April, May, and June. Staying with the Bucks, uh, we after most Bucks games, we do a tap list sort of recapping, you know, send the ins and outs of the game, you know, the less sort of, the more micro, right? We talked about macro, the more micro things uh, that happen during the game that are worth, you know, discussing. Uh, number one is Giannis outplayed Jokic. Will anybody actually care? Giannis Antetokounmpo, 36 points in this game, 18 boards, five assists. He was 14 and 19 from the field. Um, he was dominant uh, and he played really well. He was easily the best player on that court. Uh, Denver did not have an answer for Antetokounmpo. Uh, Aaron Gordon has no, he can't keep up with Antetokounmpo. Um, and that has to be a red flag for Denver, right? You Even if you're a Milwaukee hater and you're saying, oh, no way does Milwaukee make the finals, this Denver team can't keep up with Giannis in a seven-game series. I've seen Kevin Wilds, who I really like, who's like, oh, no one's beating Denver in a seven-game series. Are you sure? Are you sure that Denver, how, how is Denver going to be able to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo? They do not have an answer for Giannis because Jokic is too slow off the dribble. Uh, and he's been a bad defender, you know, really for his entire career. And that's been one of my issues when people are like, Jokic is the best player in the world. I'm like, dude, he is not a two-way player. He is a great offensive player. He is an offensive savant. He's one of the best offensive players we've had in the last 20 years, but he stinks defensively. And Aaron Gordon can't guard him. Michael Porter's too small. Like they do not have, maybe Peyton Watson, 
but you lose so much offensively with Peyton Watson, and I don't know throughout a full game could Peyton Watson actually keep up. He played 21 minutes in this game and was a minus uh, or minus nine. He was a minus 11. That was Justin Holiday, but he was a minus nine out on the court. So it's not like Peyton Watson's impact was you know immediately felt there, and that that has to be a concern for Denver. Now, I do wonder, will the MVP buzz around Giannis Antetokounmpo grow? It should. It should definitely be a storyline heading into the All-Star game. That should be a talking point. It should be Giannis for MVP. Can he win his third MVP? That should matter. Embiid is out of the conversation. Jokic struggles in this game. 29 points. Yes, he did He did lead all scorers for Denver, but it was on 13 to 25 shots. It frankly was not a good performance by Jokic. Brook Lopez and Giannis both kind of had him in hell. And again, if we're comparing the two guys, just the two-way-ness of Giannis Antetokounmpo should matter. Now, Shai Gildas-Alexander is going to get a lot of love. And, and the NBA has done this with their MVP. It's sometimes a who's next, right? We saw a young Kevin Durant win this MVP award. We saw a young Derrick Rose win this MVP award when their team sort of elevated, you know, to another level. So it's very possible that they award this to Shai Gildas-Alexander as sort of, you know, the sort of like, it's like a crowning of your, you hit a new level of superstardom. And maybe that's what fucks Giannis at the end. But I think that this should matter. I was really annoyed, and I like his stuff, but I was really annoyed at Worldwide Wob, who was like, oh, it's a Bucks blowout, you know, stand by, because, you know, the, the Thanasis thing has gotten just to another level, and that's a whole, totally other topic. But Wob's tweeting about uh, Victor Webinyama the entire night, which is, is worth it, right? He had triple double in blocks. That's incredible. That's that's an incredible stat line. That's an amazing performance by Webinyama, but there was nothing mentioned about what Antetokounmpo was doing against the Denver Nuggets. This wasn't fucking Memphis. This wasn't the Raptors, you know, who Wembenyama did against. This wasn't the Spurs. Like, he was doing this against the bet, the defending champions, and no one seemed to give a damn. No one seemed to be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is Giannis. This is what Giannis has been doing all year. So maybe someone will wake up, but it's just, it's so annoying, and I, I hate to sound like a complainer, but it's what we have to do because Milwaukee is easily the most disrespected team in basketball. It's not, it's really not even close. And it's so funny that it just keeps happening. And who knows, maybe with guys like Patrick Beverly and Doc Rivers, who's vocal, like maybe, you know, Beverly speaks up on his podcast and talks about it and maybe it becomes a thing. I don't know. We'll see. I'll be interested to see if Pat Beverly, you know, kind of picks that up. And we'll have to see if the Pat Bev pod talks about that as, you know, he gets more ingratiated with the city of Milwaukee and sort of Bucks culture, if you will. Other things. The Bucks defense has become a wagon again. Sixth in defensive rating since Doc took over. So when if we strip away wins, losses, and we just look at when Doc Rivers has taken over, if we look at the last eight games of Bucks basketball, the Bucks are sixth in defensive rating. Again, that's not nothing, right? That to me says a lot about this Milwaukee Bucks team. They're actually eighth. I th- I think maybe it was post Griffin. I don't know. Frank Madden had that. Um, but the Bucks are 112 in net rating or defensive rating over 100. They're right there with the Phoenix Suns 
for seventh. Their offensive rating, yes, has sagged a little bit. It's 21st in the NBA. But I think that that is to be assumed, right? You, It's not going to be perfect with Doc Rivers, but the fact that they are more connected defensively, the fact that they are getting back in, in transition, I think they're top five in the month of February in terms of transition defense. Like, it, it just looks so much better. And the Bucs are, are doing such a better job defensively so far with Rivers. And will there be, you know, slip-ups? Sure, right? You know, whether it's a fourth game in six days or it's a back-to-back and the Bucs really weren't ready for it or it's the end of a road trip, there will be moments, right? No one's perfect. But I, I do think what we've seen from the Bucs so far has been really good on the defensive side of things. And Beverly adds a lot. Uh, you know, his impact, I think, is definitely been felt through two games. Uh, he played 20 minutes in this one, was plus seven, had four assists, had five, five runs, got four fouls. I mean, which is fine, right? Like, I'm okay with Pat Beverly getting fouled. I'm okay with Pat Beverly making things difficult for the Denver Nuggets. And he did that. And he has helped defensively. And I think seeing sort of the positive sort of bench production, and they they were good. I mean, they deserve a mention too, like Beverly plus seven, Connaughton plus 19. Now I think that was a little bit of sort of what he did at the end of the game, but Connaughton was still plus 19 when he was out on the floor. AJ Green plus seven, Bobby Portis plus eight. Like that's stuff that we were not seeing with Adrian Griffin. And so it shows you already Doc Rivers has kind of figured out those rotations and figured out, all right, what are the guys to plug and play with? I think it actually helps, you know, sort of figure that out without Middleton. I think it makes it a little bit easier, right? Now that Jay Crowder is, you know, starter minutes for now. Um, But I do think once Middleton gets back, I think it makes the bench even better. Um, Speaking of defense, they they made Jamal Murray's life a living hell in that first half. Now he left the game with an injury. Uh, and it was tibula inflammation. Uh, but Jamal Murray had had only three points. He was a minus 18. He was one of five from the field. Um, and yeah, made one and two turnovers. And Doc Rivers said after the game that the focus was on Jamal Murray after Jamal Murray had killed the Bucks in that first game. That first game was all Jamal Murray. And they've been dominated by guards really all season. Murray in that game was had 35 points, was on 13 to 22 shots, made nine free throws, did, had two turnovers overall, was 59% from the field, was an absolute stud, and the Bucs shut it down. And the Bucs were like, we are not letting Jamal Murray beat us. And again, that's another thing, and I, I hate to keep our back on, oh, I noticed this. It's like Doc Rivers makes it a point to say, all right, who, what's a guy that beat us? We are going to make sure that this is not going to happen again. I'm trying to pull up his quote that Gabe Stoltz of Brew Hoop had from Doc Rivers, um, which was, I thought, really good. And where is it? Let's see if we can find it. Oh, he talked about simplifying defense so we could play with fire. I love that quote as well. I don't know if I can find the Jamal. There was a, I apologize. I cannot find necessarily the Jamal Murray quote. There was a good quote Doc had, and I, I'm sorry I missed it, but basically saying like, yeah, we had a really hard film session and I talked to bees about, we're not going to get picked and rolled. And the Bucks are trying to avoid sort of, they were a really easy team to pick and roll against. And that's been something that the Bucks have stopped from a defensive side of things. Other things. 
Bobby Portis versus Scott Foster. I didn't know Scott Foster didn't like us. Uh, I thought it was only Chris Paul. Uh, but Scott Foster was doing his best to try to keep the Nuggets in the game in the first half. Uh, and then in the second half, he gave Bobby Portis two technicals. Uh, the first one was for hanging on the rim after a dunk. Yeah, he slapped the backboard. But again, I don't think that's called. And then Bobby Portis flicked the ball at Scott Foster. And Foster teed him up and sent him sent him off. Everybody loved it. Uh, it was very Kenny Wu-esque from Mighty Ducks too. Like two minutes in the penalty box, well worth it. Like, I mean, I, I think that hopefully Scott Foster doesn't use that against the Bucs. Uh, I, I always thought that Scott Foster didn't necessarily have himself a Bucs problem, but apparently he might. Uh, so that's not good. Maybe it's Doc Rivers thing uh, with Scott Foster, but uh, that's definitely something to monitor uh, as the uh, playoffs get closer uh, and if we get other Scott Foster games. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've had Scott Foster in the mix. So hopefully it's just, it was a bad night for Scotty or Scotty just wanted to be the show uh, with the Bucks dominating. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting to say the least of Scott Foster just trying to make it about himself uh, because why not? Uh, last thing to keep in mind, and then we'll go to brackets. The Bucks versus the Celtics and the Nuggets this season. Both teams, cl- close road loss and a blowout home victory. That's not nothing. And I know you'll say, well, Charlie, the Celtics, you know, oh, they were, they, they were coming off a back-to-back. I don't give a fuck, right? Bucks are 6-1, and one, I believe, in back-to-backs this year. Like, I, I don't care. Um, and I, I really look at that and I just say, like, that to me tells you everything you need to know. And that's why I said, you know, after the Open, like, you got to have patience with this team. It's going to pay off. Trust me on this. And I, I really do believe that. And I, I think you're seeing it from this Bucks team. And it, it has a chance to be special here. And I, I, I've quoted him before, but our guy Shafty Bro, who I love on Twitter, one of the best follows I feel like for Bucks stuff, called the Bucks like the Kansas City Chiefs of, of basketball, where the Chiefs had this really tough regular season and then it all just kind of clicked when, when it was nut crunching time. And you can kind of see it. And I sometimes think sports are a little thematic, right? I think that sport, sometimes you have themes in the year would not surprise me one bit if you saw that the same sort of thing. Uh, but I, I think really what's important now for the Bucks is continuing to take care of business against the teams you're supposed to uh, and also trying to keep yourself out of that four seed. I think that's a really important kind of goal for this Bucks team. They don't have to be the two seed. I think the two seed would be nice. I don't think they're going to catch Boston unless it really kind of falls apart for the Celtics. But I think if you could get that two seed and make sure that you have home court against Cleveland, where you've kind of struggled in Cleveland, I think would matter. Um, the fact that they have a you know basically no tiebreaker between the two teams, I think now that will mean that conference record will matter, which Cleveland has the leg up in terms of losses, but Bucks have more wins. So I don't exactly know how that how that all shakes out, but I, I think the two seed is important. And we have a long way to go. At some point, Cleveland's going to kind of fall back to earth a bit. Like they, you can only be hot for so long um, and they're going to start to fade a little bit. You've already seen the Knicks sort of do that, right? Everybody was so excited about the Knicks. Everybody was, you know, getting, glazing the Knicks and they've lost their shit. And they have had more injuries. Hartenstein had an Achilles thing. 
Uh, Dante DiVincenzo left the game late uh, on Monday with a hamstring problem. Like the Knicks just need to get to All Star break, and the Knicks, and will the Knicks be healthy enough post All Star break to kind of hold on to that four seed, right? And Knicks Sixers first round if Embiid plays would be fantastic. Um, right now it would be the Bucks Magic, uh, which would be a great series. Uh, but again, I, I think that works to Milwaukee's advantage because the the Magic are a team that it's a it's a bad matchup. They're a young team. They'll be excited to play the Bucks, but I, I think just overall that's a that's a nice matchup uh, for Milwaukee. So we'll see how it all shakes out here uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about Bucks Heat tomorrow uh, with a tap list of its own. Moving on to brackets. So the Marquette Golden Eagles are still a two seed. Um, really, my only bracket concern at this point is making sure Marquette does not get screwed with a team in Indianapolis. And what do I mean by that? So right now it looks like Marquette will be that second team in Indianapolis with Purdue if all things go well. Even if this weekend, this week doesn't go Marquette's way, I expect them to still be around the two to three three line conversation. I don't know if losing to DePaul or uh, DePaul, well, losing the ball would do that, but losing to Butler and UConn would, you know, bring them down to a three seed. Like if, if losing to Butler and UConn would make them a three seed, not that I'm saying they're going to lose, I'm just saying it's on the table. It's certainly possible, right? Um, Butler is going to be hungry tonight. Uh, that game scares the living shit out of me. And we'll talk about it on the PSF app. I'll be there with you. I will grind out that game with everybody else. I do not feel good about it. Uh, but I, I will hopefully have my people with me watching uh, the Golden Eagles. And so they're trying to hold on to Indianapolis. And I think that they still have, you know, all... You know, it's all on the table for them. I don't think, I'm trying to look and see like, would another team kind of be in that Indianapolis conversation? Like Kansas will be more for Omaha. Tennessee will be more for Memphis. North Carolina will be more for Charlotte. So if you look at that three line, maybe Iowa State, right? Iowa State could potentially be at that three line that you'd look at and say, okay, I could see Iowa State. I, I'd have to look from a geographical perspective and see is Iowa State closer to Indianapolis or close to, closer to Omaha? I would assume it's closer to Omaha. And that's where they have them slated right now. But if you look at the, that three line, and this I'm looking at Jerry Palm's three line, that's really the only team. Illinois, I guess, if Illinois got hot, right at the end and Illinois right now is a four seed if Illinois could get themselves into that two seed conversation that would be another team but again Marquette has the head-to-head -head over Illinois so it, it to me that would be hard unless Marquette you know completely sort of fell off and it just you know it kind of went to shit for the Golden Eagles but I, I look at it and I'm okay with being in Indianapolis. I wanna be in Indianapolis. It's a five hour drive. There's a ton of Marquette fans in Chicago. There will be a great Marquette contingent. What worries me is the other teams that could be in Indianapolis creating a home court disadvantage, a lot similar to what we saw in Columbus where Michigan State was in Columbus and they basically had a home court advantage because that Michigan State was closer to Columbus than Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so 
I'm trying to avoid that. I realize sometimes it's impossible to do that. But right now, what we see, and I'm preemptively mad about it, is a Jerry Palm seeding that I can't, I really can't take. Marquette versus Colgate, fine. Uh, again, I, we talked about that matchup last week. I think that's a perfect matchup for Marquette in the first round. But the second round would be either right now against Kentucky or Indiana State. Indiana State should not get Indianapolis, okay? Like straight up, I understand it's not, I don't know how close it is, but Indiana State should not be in Indianapolis. That is absolutely fucking ridiculous for a 10 seed to go to Indianapolis. That to me is just lazy bracketing by Jerry Palm, all due respect. I like Jerry Palm a lot and I understand maybe it's just the way he's seeding the brackets, but there is no fucking way that they should be in Indianapolis. I will be incensed if that is the case. I, I cannot have that happen, okay? Um, and is Kentucky and Indiana State an awesome basketball game? Yeah, I'm, I'd be very excited. But also Kentucky and Indianapolis would be very beneficial. And you look at the other two seeds and you just wonder like, how the fuck is this fair? Like you look at Kansas, they're in Omaha, right? They have FAU and Northwestern. No, no worry about either team, you know, traveling well. Butler, Old Miss is your Memphis matchup. Now also, and again, maybe this is to the point of poem where I don't know why you'd put Tennessee and Old Miss in that bracket. It seems like Butler, Indiana State would be the better matchup. I think he just screwed this up because ten, why would you have an SEC matchup in the second round? You And maybe that's sort of his logic and theory about, I don't really care about matchups just yet. But I get, but then yeah, Old Miss, Kentucky, you wouldn't want to have that. You, yeah, you're kind of screwed at that 10 line with the SEC. You probably would move somebody out, whether that be Old Miss to 11, Kentucky to eight, Kentucky to six. Something would have to probably change there, right? But then to furthermore, Washington State and Texas A&M would be in Charlotte to, for North Carolina. So why is it only Milwaukee, or why is it only Marquette that gets screwed here? That, that doesn't seem to make sense. And again, maybe it's just he's ranking the, and it looks like he's ranking the seeds. So maybe that's what it is. Kentucky right now, and I, I don't know, maybe not. I, I'm not sure. I, I would love to ask him, like, is that part of it? And is that part of the process? But we can play it out. They would then play either Baylor or Creighton in that Sweet 16. Again, I, it's a weird bracket for Palm. I, I don't know why you would have Creighton Marquette in a, as a potential Sweet 16 matchup. I have to think that the matchups right now are not necessarily what they would be, but they'd be in the West region with Arizona. I actually think Arizona, even though their size would be an issue, they are very bad in terms of stopping three point. They're not a three point defense team. Um, I think Arizona is a very vulnerable team when it comes to, you know, I don't see them as a Final Four team, in my opinion. I think also the Pac-12 is a pretty mediocre conference. So I think that's all that's all part of it, right? Um, and I, I think that if you're in Arizona's region, I think that's certainly on the table. And they would be in Los Angeles. So that would obviously be a disadvantage, you know, in terms of that second weekend. But I think this is a great bracket for Marquette. Arizona, Illinois, Baylor, like those are all beatable teams. I think in terms of that region, 
teams that I would worry about, quote-unquote, maybe would be Virginia, right? I know that that sounds crazy, Virginia right now on eight seed, but I, I feel like Virginia is the type of team that would give Marquette fits, um, and I think they're playing really good basketball. Um, and, and who knows, maybe by the time the tournament rolls around, Virginia is a six or Virginia is a five, but that would really be the only one that I would be concerned about in that region for Marquette. Obviously, Michigan State's looming, but it'd be a Virginia-Michigan State first-round matchup, which would be excellent. Uh, it'd be a really good game uh, for that first round. So that's Palm's bracket. Uh, we had to pull Bowertology back in. We're going to probably use him going forward. Lenardi, just the fact that he's not updating his brackets right away. I do want to shout out my guy, T3, who followed me on, on the X slash Twitter platform. Uh, he does brackets as well and has Marquette right now. He has not updated. I think he does it every Tuesday. He has Marquette as the seventh team. He ranks Marquette as the basically the third best two seed, right? Uh, and North Carolina and Tennessee are ahead of them. So if you're trying to keep track of maybe a one seed on the table, you know, you're going to have to track what North Carolina, what Tennessee are doing. It's kind of a bummer that we did not get Marquette, Tennessee in the Maui because I think that might help Marquette seeding in the end. But you look at what's behind them. Now, this is not including the weekend. So Wisconsin is in that three seed, but it's Baylor, Auburn, Iowa State. And I, I think that those are all teams that are a rung below Marquette. I do think that there is a tier and that tier right now to me is Purdue, UConn, Houston, Arizona, Tennessee, North Carolina, Marquette. I don't think Kansas is in that tier right now. I think because Kevin McCuller it, you know, had an illness and they lose again. Uh, and T3 actually pointed this out that their, their best win on the road this year has been Indiana. They are not a good road team. And it, they're gonna keep stacking up road losses. Their seed is going to fall. They're gonna have to get a big road win. And we'll see if they, they do it on Saturday against Oklahoma. That will be a big test for you know Kansas and where they're at. But going to Bowertology, Bauer still has Kentucky as a seven seed in Indianapolis. That is, again, nightmare scenario. They'd play Northwestern. Uh, Marquette would take on Moorhead State. That is a new matchup. Moorhead State was a team that a lot of people thought would be sort of take a step back. Um, but the guy, I think it's Preston Spalden is his name. He's done a great job in terms of getting that team together and playing well. Uh, Moorhead, though, really did not necessarily play a great schedule this season. Their losses this year are a close one to Indiana. Uh, Penn State, they got blown out by Purdue, beat them by... 30, uh, Alabama beat them by nearly 30. So it's clear that they're beating the teams they're supposed to. They've not necessarily played this hard schedule or you could point to something where you're like, oh yeah, Marquette should be on upset alert. They do play very slow, um, which has been an issue uh, for the Golden Eagles in the past, uh, slower teams, but they also turn the ball over a ton and that would be that would not be good. That would not necessarily work out. Moorhead, Kentucky, again, a little bit of an advantage. Uh, in Indianapolis, they would they would have probably more of a home crowd than typical 15 seeds if they were there. Uh, but yeah, Kentucky Northwestern in the second round, like that again, that gives me the shivers just thinking about a big blue crowd. But Marquette has had a lot of success against Kentucky in in the tournament. Kentucky is another team where I feel like the youth of the Wildcats could really overwhelm what Marquette does from a you know offensive and defensive perspective. They would then play either Duke or Oklahoma in that Sweet 16 round. I'm fine with either. 
Uh, I think you just worry about officiating when it comes to Duke. Uh, this would also be in the Dallas region. So no real home court advantage in that Sweet 16. And then you'd either play Houston or Auburn to finish uh, as the top four seeds. I, I've said it before, but Houston just to me is like Miami Heat level in terms of just beating you up and the way they attack. And I I wonder if that would be a really tough game for Tyler Kolick. Um, I think to me, out of the one seeds, I don't want to see Houston. I think one I think Houston is to me the worst matchup for Marquette. So being in that Houston region would be pretty difficult for the Golden Eagles. Dayton's also in there. And I think like if you got Dayton or Auburn, that would certainly help Marquette if it wasn't Houston it, as your as your team heading into the Elite Eight. Um, as for Wisconsin, Wisconsin has fallen off quite a bit, uh, losing to Rutgers and Michigan last weekend. I don't think I'm as worried about the Final Four run for the Badgers. Now again, basketball is a long season. They could figure it out. But right now, I would say my worry is at about a one. I don't think it's even worth sort of addressing. Um, you know, Wisconsin in Bowertology is down to a four seed uh, where they play UC Irvine, who's an excellent basketball team. Uh, that would not be an easy first round matchup. And then either play Clemson or Appalachian State in the second round, which actually works kind of to their advantage. They're all the way, though, in Spokane, Washington. They would be, they would, there would be really no home court advantage for any of those four teams. And then they would play Arizona, likely in that in that Sweet 16 in, in Los Angeles. And Wisconsin has had so much success against Arizona in the NCAA tournament that nobody would want to see that. But Tennessee would be looming potentially in the Elite Eight. Uh, so I, I look at that and I'm like, all right, that that's, doesn't really bother me. And then Jerry Palm knocked him all the way down to a sixth seed, which is very interesting. He has them against Mississippi State and then against Iowa State in Omaha. Um, that, again, Wisconsin, Iowa State, very similar basketball teams. The way Iowa State turns you over, the way the Badgers have been turning the ball over, again, not exactly concerned. Even if they were to advance, they'd face Tennessee So and UConn. So that, that's a really tough stretch. So Wisconsin has a lot of work to do. Um, they are... Yeah, they play Ohio State tonight. Um, I feel like that's a absolute hammer spot for Marquette I, or uh, Wisconsin. Excuse me. I thought it was one for, against Rutgers, honestly, um, and they didn't play well. I think tonight it's just sort of it's all systems go against an Ohio State team that's just ready for the season to be over and Chris Holtman to be fired. So, all right, before we wrap up the bracket talk, I did want to give a shout out to Green Bay. Green Bay right now is at the top of the horizon. They swept a road trip beating Robert Morris, which isn't is it isn't like not a big deal because Robert Morris not a great uh, Horizon League team. But then they went into Youngstown State. Youngstown right now the best we're the best team in the Horizon. Green Bay beats them on a last second shot. They are right now at the top of the Horizon. They are a 16 seed, but they would get in the tournament. I don't know when the last time Green Bay was in the tournament. Uh, Sundance Wicks, Sonny Wicks should probably be the coach of the year, honestly. Just Green Bay was terrible last year. Green Bay was one of the worst teams in college basketball, and he's made them into a Horizon League contender. I feel like this is almost more impressive than what Bart Lundy was doing. Uh, Green Bay would face UConn in Jerry Palm's bracket and Purdue in uh Bowers bracket. Now the Purdue would be cool only for the fact that, you know, Indianapolis would be a short trip. So that would be nice for the Green Bay Phoenix fans. But yeah, 
you kind of have to get on the Phoenix bandwagon. Like, if you don't necessarily have allegiance to either team, like, you have to sort of find your way to the Green Bay Phoenix and cheer for them. So let's see here. When have the last time they've been in the tournament? Oh, it's been a while. It has been a while. They have not been to the NCAA tournament since 1995 and 1996. That might have been, the, I think, Tony Bennett. Was Tony Bennett still there? This was the first year after Dick Bennett, Mike Heiderman, took over from Dick Bennett, who then went to Wisconsin. But that was the last year that Green Bay was in the tournament, which, I mean, which is crazy, right? Absolutely nuts. That I'm trying to think, where were, oh, were they? Let's see here, seed-wise. They were 24. They were an eight seed. Wow. They were an eight seed. That's a lot of respect for Green Bay. They did not make it out of the first round. They lost to Virginia Tech 61-49. Uh, to 49. But Green Bay did make it out of the second round, 93-94. So that they do have a tournament win that has happened. They got to the round of 32 in 2000 or 1993. But yeah, I mean, wow. Talk about something. Oh, that was Jeff Norgard. Jeff Norgard got drafted. I think he got drafted by the Bucks. So that was like Jeff and his... I think it's his, he he's related, I believe, to Con Knepple. I forget how, but it someone will fact check me on that. But Con Knepple, the talented player, going to do. But yeah, I mean, damn, what a stretch here now for Green Bay. Hopefully, they can keep it up. I mean, this is this is now kind of getting real, right? It's gone past just like, oh, this is a fun story to like, all right, you have an actual chance to win the Horizon. And potentially win your division. They're 12 and 3 overall. They have Northern Kentucky and Purdue Fort Wayne this week at home. So three straight home games, including another matchup with Youngstown State. You just wonder can they handle sort of the pressure? Um, because now it's on them. Northern Kentucky beat was the, really the only team that has beat them, you know, really good in terms of this regular season. But yeah, what a run here for Sonny Wicks. All right. I. So it's we're 45 minutes in. I'm like, should we talk about the, the Super Bowl hangover? We had three things going. Let's let's save the Super Bowl stuff for tomorrow. I don't think it's going away. Um, I know it's still fresh in a lot of people's mind. And it's like, all right, we're done with football. We're on to basketball. We're talking a lot of basketball. We have Marquette Butler tomorrow. We have Bucks Heat tomorrow. We have the Super Bowl. I, I'll, we'll save the Super Bowl stuff for tomorrow because... I will tell you that it is, you know, when you're doing three straight solo pods, you start running out of stuff to talk about. Um, and yeah, well, let's just talk about tomorrow. Um, we we did a lot today already um, and no need to go 55 minutes on a random Tuesday. Although I, I always love hanging with you guys. I'm sure you guys love the longer pods. So we'll, we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, I, I think that that's way okay. Um, so we'll, we'll push that to tomorrow's show. Uh, we'll talk Super Bowl hangovers um, and how that could help the Packers. And then we'll also discuss the Marquette game against Butler that I'm nervous for. I'm a little nervous for Bucks Heat too, just because I really like to see the Bucks win. I know that it doesn't necessarily matter all that much, but if you could sweep a back-to-back against the Nuggets and the Heat, two teams who were in the NBA Finals last year, that would, that would mean something. I know no Jimmy Butler likely uh, who's dealing with a family thing, um, but I, I still think that that would be a really nice sort of feather in your hat to end sort of the all-star break. All right, guys, that does it for today. 
we will be back tomorrow as mentioned. So we'll, we'll talk to you then about all those things and have a good Tuesday. Enjoy the day. All right, see you. Bye.